Anchor Point. Welcome to this week's virtual message. Whether you're joining online um, through YouTube or through podcasts, uh, we're so happy that you're here. Welcome to the kids. We're uh, really excited that you can join us in this. And for everybody that this is your first time joining, um, we're super pumped that you are following along. Uh, we're going to be following along uh, this week and continuing on Ephesians. And if you like what you hear, you should go back and listen to the the, the other sermons that, that have been put on. Everybody that has been giving, thank you. If you'd like to continue to give or this is the first time you want to give, um, you can do that through e-transfer at giving at apalliston.com. And yeah, I just want to encourage you all that even though that you feel like you're you're alone or that we have a lockdown, you're not alone. Reach out to a friend, reach out to one of your brothers and sisters in this community and um, don't be afraid to discuss what you hear today and to encourage each other and to pray together. Uh, we love you guys and I uh, am excited to listen to the message that Tom's going to be giving. Today's reading is from Ephesians 6, verse 5 to 9. Let's hear God's word. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and, you, and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Hey, good morning, guys. How's it going? If I've not met you before, my name's Tom, and I'm so happy that you're here with us, hanging out as we continue on in our study in the book of Ephesians. To get us going this morning, I have a question for you. How much time does the average Canadian spend at work over their normal working career? So let's say 30 years. I did a little bit of research, and any guesses? I'm imagining you're saying something at your screen. The average amount of time a Canadian will spend at work during a 30-year working career is 56,250 hours. That's a lot of time. Uh, as, as, as human beings here in Ontario and around the world living in 2021, uh, what we do as employees and employers takes up the bulk of our lives for the most of us. That's a lot of time. One, one study I said, saw in Australia said you spend 13.2 years of your life physically actually working at your job and for us because there's so much sense there's so much time that we spend doing this is it's there's a lot of our identity is staked on what we do as a career and I remember being in high school like 17 almost 18 almost getting done with senior year and this the pressure of needing to know what you wanted to do with your life just felt overwhelming like how am I supposed to make any good decisions as a 17 year old first of all and then also, how am I going to make these decisions that are going to set me up for the rest of my life? So I just remember feeling so much anxiety. 
because for us in our society, our, our culture, it's so charged in the sense of what we do determines our identity. And so I am what I do rather than, you know, what we've been learning about in, in terms of our new identity in Jesus. And so there's this pressure for us to find the perfect career path, get a perfect job in said career path, and then shortly thereafter become the leader in that industry. And that's just, that's an insurmountable amount of pressure for a lot of us. And so all that to say, there's a lot riding on how we do our work and what we do with all that time. But if we think back into history, that's not always the way that it was. If you put, just for, you just use me as an example, say I was alive in 1720 and the, my parents before me, my dad and my grandfather, what they did is they were actually blacksmiths. So at that point, as a son, my decision wasn't like, okay, maybe I'll be a teacher or a musician. It was like, no, the, the question you ask is actually, do you want to make a sword or a horseshoe today? Or a different trade. Say, say my ancestors were farmers. It wasn't like, oh, maybe I'll go and I'll become a lawyer or a doctor. It was, no, what are we going to plant in that back 40? Cabbage, kale. I mean, the world is your oyster. So that, that sense of your, the, the decision was made for you, maybe helped with some of that sense of anxiety and all that kind of stuff. But anyways, all, all, the, all that to say, we spend the bulk of our time doing some type of work, being some type of employee or as an employer. This is the, the bulk, we spend the bulk of our, our adult years, a majority of our adult years in the workplace. So over that same span of time, I have another question for you. If you were to go to church every Sunday in that 30-year span, how many hours would you spend at church, do you think? Over that same 30-year span, if you went 50 weeks a year, say you took two weeks off, you'd spend 2,000 hours in church. And for a lot of us, there is this constant sense of disparity between who I am at work and who I am at church. This sense of like, I, I can't wear my work hat to church and I can't wear my church hat to work and how do those two things go together and so for a lot of us there's this frustrating sense of disintegration that that you don't want to have there but just exists because so much of your time is it, or our, our thinking is just wrong about that and so much of our time is spent at work and you know you, you get you get the drift of what i'm saying but what we've been learning over the last little bit is that we as disciples have a unique perspective on things like marriage and things like parenting, and all of these things are fueled by and, and rest in this good news of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. And this is no different when we think about being an employee or an employer. There's a unique perspective that we have as disciples on work. As we've been learning, our new identity in Christ is to inform all of our lives, not just how we serve in the local church. Our new life in Christ is to be one that is full of integrity. There isn't this sense of disintegration and this hat and that hat. It's just we're one person following one God and that he's leading us into this life with him. Uh, but how we handle and engage with every aspect of life here on earth should and can be in line with the good news of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for us. So with all that in mind... We're going to be asking the question today of how do we apply our faith to our work? What does that look like for us? But before that, I'm sure in hearing the scripture being read earlier, maybe some alarm bells were going off, some trigger words were being read. And so I want to spend some time defining some terms before we get into applying the scripture to our life today. 
One of the questions that might be banging around in your mind and heart after reading or hearing that scripture read this morning is, are you telling me that the Bible condones slavery? No, I'm not telling you that. And we see this based on what is written in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So in Exodus 21, we see this in, in terms of how Israel is to live their lives as God's chosen people. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. So Yahweh, the God of Israel, is vehemently opposed to enslavers or someone who's holding captives or holding slaves captive and selling them and all that kind of stuff. And Paul later on in his letter to Timothy includes enslavers in a list of actions that is directly opposed to God's kingdom. However, the Bible has been weaponized by sinful men and women to perpetuate injustice over the years in all different capacities. And, and when we think about that in, in contrast to what we read in the scripture and who we know Jesus to be, there is this disparity there. But I want to be clear that when the church is living out its true call, it is absolutely opposed to slavery and segregation. Okay, I'm going to keep going on with this. So this is a quote from Frederick Douglass, who is uh, an African-American man who is a follower of Jesus, was a big part of um, the abolition movement and the end of slavery in the South. And he wrote this. He said, I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, women-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial and hypocritical Christianity of this land. Indeed, I can see no reason but the most deceitful one for calling the religion of this land Christianity. I look upon it as the climax of all misnomers, the boldest of all frauds, and the grossest of all libels. He's calling it as it is. So he's saying, hey, what, what we're seeing here is not the church living out its true call. It's, a, it's actually quite hypocritical, but that's not what Paul is, Paul is going for as he lays out what it looks like for the gospel to influence how we live our lives in the household of God. But for us, hearing this today in 2021, it would make perfect sense that in our minds, when we hear the word bond slave and master, or maybe some of your translations even have slave, we would go to things and pictures and images like roots or 12 years a slave. Or for me growing up in the South, there's all kinds of images that are conjured up in my mind. But this is not what Paul is talking about here. So let me make a few distinctions. I mean, this is a basic statement that will kind of go through the rest of the, the, the time here. But bondservant is not the same as a slave in America. American slavery, we, we realize, was based on race, was permanent, and was 100% involuntary. Tragic. Awful. Bondservanthood, or to be a doulos, that's the Greek word there, is, was completely different in nature. So as a bond servant, you are actually an indentured servant. And to be a bond servant was never based on race, and it was not involuntary, but voluntary. And normally that work was to pay off a debt, and even to be a bond servant was for, for typically a seven to ten year period. So in the time that Paul is writing, this bond servants make up about a third of the, the population of the Greco-Roman world. Bond servants were doctors and teachers and the like, and they were allowed possessions and money, a stark contrast from slavery in America. So considering all this and reading the scriptures that we just read, what Paul is saying here is much more akin to the relationship between an employee and an employer rather than to a master and a slave. So with this in mind, what does it look like to be a good employee 
and a good boss, both serving a good savior. Let's take the first three verses together and look at what it, look, what it means to be a good employee. All right, let's read verses five to eight. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. So a good employee, the first thing we want to think about, a good employee works purposefully. Simply put, work matters to God. Remember back in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2, we see God interacting with the first humans. And what he does is he actually gives Adam a job. So work is not from the fall or from the devil, as maybe some of us have felt in the past. I remember being young and being like, oh, this can't be from God. Why would you, why would you want me to get a job, Dad? I'm only 14. But remember, God created us to work. In the garden, he commissioned Adam to be a gardener. Adam is given a, God, a job by God. And simply put, what that is, is to take the raw materials of creation and to reorder them into something that benefits others and blesses God. It's a great job description. And or another way to put it is make order out of chaos, just like God did. So let's think about this just in a few different ways. So if we think about a cook, a cook or a chef, what they're doing is they're, they're reordering the chaos that occurred as an animal was butchered and as from the dirt and earth, a potato was dug up and a carrot and lettuce was grown and they're washing it and they're reordering it. And they're cooking it, preparing it, seasoning it into a meal that nourishes other people and causes others to thank God for the flavor he created. Jesus, thank you for ribeye steak and for potatoes. I've used this example before, but my wife, Jess, she makes, she makes jewelry. And sometimes when I come into the room and she's creating, in my mind, or if I look in her drawer of craft stuff, it, it feels like chaos. There's beads and, and pieces of metal and there's um, all kinds of stuff. But what she's able to do is she's able to reorder that chaos into something that is beautiful, something that a woman would find attractive and buy and put onto her body as an earring or as a necklace. And that is blessing that person. But also it blesses her husband as, she's, as he's drawn to her and he praises God and says, wow. My wife is so lovely. Thank you, God, for giving me a beautiful wife. You get the drift. Or think about a counselor. Um, I've, I've been going to see a counselor since my mom passed this past year, but just thinking about as I bring my chaos to him, my grief to him, as we're talking things through, able to, being able to kind of hear and listen and reorder people's emotions and their confusion into something coherent, and then from that, that person receiving a, a sense of peace and also being able to go back into their family as a better version of themselves, more like Jesus, more um, whole than they were before. And thus being able to see God for who he really is and what he's doing, even in the midst of pain and trouble. All that to say, work is not a result, a result of the fall of humanity. Work itself has intrinsic value. So a good employee works with the purpose of using their gifts for the good of others and the glory of God. The second thing a good employee does is a good employee works with character. How many of you have gone through this experience before? Maybe you've been at work and uh, you've had your Facebook open instead of your 
Excel spreadsheet or you've been at the job site instead of being up and actually putting that wall back together, you've been sitting down for a bit too long on your lunch break and all of a sudden you hear the boss is here and you get up quick and you all of a sudden you grab a hammer and you're pretending like you've been working all along or you quickly try to close your browser or you try to sit up straighter or whatever that might feel like. That's the thing we're trying to avoid in terms of working with character. We wanna be working the same, whether our boss is coming in or whether our boss is not gonna show up for the next three months. We wanna be people who work with integrity, who are doing the same thing when no one's watching as when the boss is watching. And this is what Paul is talking about and not just giving eye service and only working hard when your boss rounds the corner of the office or shows up on the job site. As a good employee, you work the same no matter who is around you. The second thing within that category is working with passion, whatever your job may be. I've had some tough jobs in my past, and it's been a, a struggle for me to work with passion, thinking, what's the purpose of this? You know, Ugh, my attitude has been really bad. But I, I pray for us as a community that we grab a hold of like this whole idea that work is actually dignified, and no matter what it might be, there's a way to, to bless others and God as we work together. I want us to grab our head or wrap our heads around this idea that whatever we're doing, we, we can do it with passion because how you do your job is more important than what you do for a job. I'm going to say that one more time. How you do your job is more important than what you do for a job. Colossians 3.23 says, says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. This means that we can do what we do with passion and we, we can do it well and do it with care. A good employee works with character and integrity, working just as hard and with just as much passion as when the boss is watching as when they're on their own. Moving on, the third thing, a good employee works for God. We are called to work for God. So I want you to think about this. If God were your boss, how would you answer the phone? How would you prepare your lesson plans? How would you show up to that next Zoom meeting? How would you harvest those potatoes? How would you deliver packages or whatever your job may require? What if God was actually your boss? It has the potential to change everything when we can live with this paradigm. I think about just for myself that that, that level of excellence, I think would I would be trying a lot harder if I thought that way. That That level of excellence and care would probably shoot through the roof. What if you were making a flat white for Jesus? What if you were changing Jesus's tires on his truck? How would it change from what you're doing right now? This is also helpful because it explodes the idea that you need to have a full-time job at a church or at a nonprofit to do the Lord's work. No, we, we all have the opportunity to engage our jobs as God's work. We're able to work heartily for the Lord. I want to make a, like a bigger deal out of that. I think sometimes we can think, oh, you know, Tom or Kevin or all these people or, you know, other pastors you've known in, your, in the past or people who are working at, you know, nonprofits, they're doing the Lord's work and I'm just going and, you know, serving coffee or I'm, you know, working at a hospital and all those things. And we have this weird dichotomy that isn't actually there in the grand scheme of things. Whatever we're doing, we're, we want to do it unto the Lord, right? Heartily. But also whatever we do has, a, has the potential to bless other people and be God's work. God values all work because he provides for his people through various vocations. 
Think about just even food for a second. God uses the farmer to grow the food, the grocer to sell the food, the chef in some cases at restaurants to prepare the food. All these things are blessings to his people. And we could fill in the blank with a whole con- a whole bunch of other professions there. But to do the Lord's work isn't to be in full-time paid ministry at a church. It's to do whatever you're doing as you're doing it unto the Lord. If we think about in the Bible, Joseph and Daniel worked in government. Lydia and Boaz worked in business. Zacchaeus worked in finance. There is meaning and purpose in our work, even when it's menial and seems thankless and unseen. As good employees, we will see that whatever we're doing is ultimately being done for God. What about being a good boss? Let's read verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So, any bosses out there? Okay, some good news and bad news. You're called to everything that we just went through as well. All of the above, working with purpose, with character, and for God. All of the above you're called to. Um, and as you do this in your own space as a boss, you set the tone and culture of your workplaces for the better, if you're doing this well. Because a good boss leads with character, integrity, passion, and purpose. These traits, when lived out well, and with sincerity and integrity, become inta- contagious and change the, the landscape of your workplace for the better. So a few notes from this verse for those of you who are bosses in some regard. The first thing is the managerial golden rule. Uh, If you hope to receive respect, show it. If you hope to receive service, give it. In short, treat your employees the way that you would like to be treated. Number two, motivate with trust and not fear. It's tough to not use fear as a motivator to control situations in all of our lives, but I can imagine, especially if you run your own business, that this would be an incredibly hard temptation to continually say no to. But we live in the kingdom of light now, and the motivation there is never fear, but love. Right? John Stott says that a relationship based on threats is not a human relationship at all. You want to treat your employees with dignity and care. How can you begin to empower and encourage and equip your employees for more responsibility should be the question you're asking. And how can you show that you trust them and honor them for who they are as people? Do you know your employees? Do you know about their kids and their spouses and their hopes and dreams? Are you aware of those things? If so, that's amazing. And I'm sure most of you guys who are bosses are doing an incredible job of this, but we want to be reminded and remember these things as we continue on for a lot more hours of this. The third thing is that that we're all level before God. In this instance, Paul is speaking into a church that would be made up of both bond servants and masters in there. So they're both listening to this at the same time. And they both heard the good news of who Jesus is and that before the foundation of the world, God had set his gaze upon us and had a plan and a purpose. So they're all hearing this together. And so there's this level, the gospel is a level playing field. And it's the same thing for us as employees and employers. Obviously there's different responsibility and authority, but in the grand scheme of things, we're seen and loved the same by God. Before God, you and your employees stand on solid ground, level ground. So in this, in this being said, don't use your status as boss to manipulate people towards your own end. 
Because the truth is there's no favoritism in God. And so you stand, again, you stand on level ground together. And as you have been learning that there, you know, we, we are brought into one new family, one new humanity in God, do your best as a boss to close the gap between you and your employees as a reflection of that reality and truth that we find in Jesus. Both good employees and good bosses love and serve a good savior. In Jesus, we have the perfect example of what life in God, God's kingdom looks like, right? Perfectly obedient, perfectly reflect, reflecting God to us and what we could be like in God's kingdom. In Jesus, it's amazing because we see him dignify work as he labored as a carpenter like his father before him. We see him doing the work of his heavenly father to perfection with passion and care and integrity. And we see Jesus who made himself nothing taking the form of a servant. He who has all authority and power, who, who descended down onto earth, laying those things aside. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done himself. All of these things, guys, that we've been learning over the last three weeks about being uh, parents, about being husbands and wives, and about being employees and employers... All of this is, is what Paul is kind of bringing to a close here as, as we've learned about how the good news of the gospel applies to these relationships. And I want to remind us as we close is that all of these things are only possible through an ongoing empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You may be thinking, I can't do these things. I can't, I can't see my employees as the same as me. I can't be respectful of my boss. Like He's ridiculous. And we could have all kinds of reasons, and I'm sure we have difficulty and, and tough experiences happening in real time, in real life, for you guys who are listening. But that's where the good news that God has given us the Holy Spirit to empower us and to enable us to live this out is, is such honey to our ears. Is that even a... You know what I'm saying. Honey to our... Maybe that's a weird saying. It, it's, it, like, it can soothe us and give us comfort in the midst of that. What we need to learn and see is that progress and change is only possible through God's presence filling up all of our lives. There's a temptation in us to, to kind of try to change and progress apart from God, but that is a hopeless case. The only way we change is through God's presence filling up our lives and changing us, partnering with him in that process. And so it's so easy in that space to live disintegrated and segregated lives, but God is wanting to make us whole and in union with himself. He's trying to bring us together as, as, a, as an individual, as a community, as a world, and then ultimately with himself. That's his, his goal. Remember, God's mission is to reunite heaven and earth. His presence will cover the earth like the water covers the sea. This means that he wants to fill up every aspect and every part of our lives today. How we treat our employees, how we act as employees, how we are children to our parents, how we parent our children, how we are husbands and wives to one another, brothers and sisters to one another. All of these things matter to God, and he wants to fill up the space and bring us together into a whole place of integration, not disintegration. So to close today, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read something. It may seem kind of weird to you. Uh, and it's, it's from Jesus's words to the apostles at the beginning of Acts. And what, I, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm praying this over us. I'm, I'm drawing our attention to this. And it's the, the point is that I'm, I'm asking for God's spirit to fill up all of our lives. And Jesus uses some geographical locations. But I think that the application here is, is for all the different 
how we've kind of, we ourselves have segregated up our life, work life, parent life, spouse life, brother and sister life, church life, and, and that God wants to bring all those things together into one life as a follower, as a disciple, as a beloved son and daughter to the King. And so as I pray this, I'm trusting that your hearts are open, that you're, that you're asking the Holy Spirit to come as I'm reading these words. And that's how we're going to close today, guys. I'm so, I'm so glad you've been with us and trust that this will be a blessing to you and that God's Spirit will come fill up your living rooms or your bedrooms or your car or wherever you're listening to this as we pray together. This is the promise of Jesus. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We need God's power to live like Jesus. So let's ask together. Let's pray the simple prayer of come Holy Spirit. So would you pray that with me now? And that's how we'll close. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen.